Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest lecture on pitfalls and the evaluation of the genitourinary tract. This is a lecture I first gave actually just about a week or so ago at the University of California, San Diego's annual course. And um, let me share what I spoke about with you. We have spoken about errors in the past, and just a couple of reminders that diagnostic imaging is one of the causes of medical error. This article from the Institute of Medicine, which tried to be very fair, talks about the problem with diagnostic error in radiology. And they blame it not only on radiology, but on our referring physicians, incomplete or incorrect patient information, insufficient sharing of information may lead to a use of an inadequate imaging protocol, an incorrect interpretation, or selection of an inappropriate imaging test. Referring clinicians often struggle with selecting the appropriate tests in part because of the large number of tests available and gaps in radiology training. Article by Michael McCary made the point that medical error is at least the third leading cause of death in the US, and that may be an underestimation. He also makes the point that we all will make mistakes. Human error is inevitable, but the key is trying to figure out remedies to help limit errors. We need to make errors more visible when they occur so their effects can be intercepted, having remedies at hand to rescue patients. Now, when you ask the question, how often do we make a mistake in radiology, it's a good question. Article by Kim, 3 to 4% on normal studies, up to 30% or higher in abnormal studies. And a significant percentage of these is errors of under-reading, which means you didn't see the finding. It's one thing if you see a liver mass and you give a differential diagnosis and you don't pick the right one, but at least people are thinking about it and other people are looking at the liver. If you read the study as negative, it goes in the folder, that's if we had folders, and no one may ever look at it again until about three years later when the patient comes back with more symptoms. So it's important misdiagnosis is not just misinterpretation, but it's not seeing the finding. Now, I read a recent article that spoke about the, the impact of reading faster. I think all of us would agree if you start reading too fast, you're going to make more mistakes. And this article looked at a number of radiologists, five radiologists, and they increased their speed. They figured out your baseline. Then they increased your speed, and they found that errors were more at the faster speed, 26%, compared to 10% at normal speed. So there's no surprise probably to any of us, the faster you read, the more errors you're going to make after a certain point. And this error where we seem to be busier and busier, that's not a good thing because we make enough errors, let alone trying to create even more errors. Now, if you ask the question to me, what is missed? I can list a million things we've all missed. But at the end of the day, when you really think about it, things tend to fall in buckets. There are certain things that are commonly missed. Think pulmonary embolism. And this article, we looked at the misses and figured out what the common misses were and why they were and how you could avoid them. Now, we'll get specifics in a moment, but if you look at why we create errors, there are a number of different things that tend to be sort of global without looking at specific uh, events poor research strategy. You're looking at the abdomen, you don't notice the PE. You overcall or undercall bowel. Is it distended or not distended? Is it pathologic or is it normal? You make assumptions. You're looking very quickly at a trauma patient and you see a very sharply defined two-centimeter renal mass. You assume it's a cyst and it's really a uh, papillary renal cell carcinoma. And 
incidental findings, every exam is incidental findings. You're looking at the aorta, you're going to find things in the liver, spleen, and kidney. You're looking at the liver, spleen, and kidney, you're going to find things in the aorta. So it's important to recognize that we need to look at what we're doing the study for, but remember, we're responsible for everything on that study. There is nothing we're not responsible for. And these errors occur in every organ system and every anatomic zone and in every organ. Now, I also added this last thing, which is that when you're checking someone, when you're working in an academic institution and you're checking a resident and fellow, you might think conceptually two of you read the case, you should do better. But I think the problem is, is when you're checking someone, you're checking, you're not reading. Checking does not have the same power. You're not sitting directly in front. You're not dictating yourself. You're not thinking to the same depth. And I noticed that when people check residents or fellows, they probably check three to five times faster than they read. So to me, there's no way you could do it that much better. And so it's very easy to miss things if you're simply checking, and not the primary person doing it. So let's look at some several things. Let's look at the kidneys. Kidneys are always a problem. When I think about errors, I think about three zones. Phase of acquisition, image display, and rendering technique. So with phase of acquisition, there is no perfect phase. I can't say if you pick one of these three phases, you will always get the answer. Now, each of the phases has certain advantages, and each of the phases has certain disadvantages. And at the end of the day, by using a couple different phases, you're able to really optimize the information gain. Now, in this set of phases, arterial venous excretory, of course, I'm telling you only about the phases post-contrast. The fact is the contrast pre-exam, that is the non-contrast study, is super important. And why is it important? Yes, I know we could pick up calculi. The reason it's important is because I get a baseline. I could tell where a lesion starts. If I say lesion on arterial and it's 90, did it go from 0 to 90? Or did it start at 90? Remember, one quarter of all renal lesions removed are benign, and some of these are high-density cysts where we get fooled. And so non-contrast is wonderful. If I show you this case, you say there's a mass in the left kidney, and it looks solid. And I show it to you on later phase imaging. It's a solid mass. And here it is on excretory phase imaging. There is no problem. This looks like a solid mass to me. Maybe there's some faint calcifications. I thought maybe there was some increased vascularity. Well, what I noticed was when I did the non when I did all the measurements on this case, it never changed density. My rule is that whether something's hypervascular or hypovascular, it's always going to change between arterial and delayed. If it doesn't change, you better think you're dealing with a high-density renal cyst. Brought the patient back. There's the left renal lesion. It's a high-density renal cyst. So high-density renal cysts can be one of the great mimickers, and it's something you have to watch out for. Another example. This looks very clear. Lesion left kidney, high-density, 86 Hounsfield units, well-defined. It's basically a leave-alone high-density renal cyst. And anything above 70, I'll show you a chart in a moment, above 70, well-defined and smooth is going to be a high-density renal cyst. And so in this case, you give contrast because we were doing it for a different reason. Well-defined, minimal enhancement, delayed phase, excretory phase, minimal enhancement. And so now you're looking at a lesion that's dense, but it's not enhancing. If you look at it here, I would say there's a renal cell carcinoma or be highly suspicious of a papillary that's washed out or even that it's hypovascular. 
Now, there's been several articles that have looked at these things directly. This article by Jonish makes the point that a renal mass 70 Hounsfield units or greater has a 99.9% .9 chance of being a high-density renal cyst rather than a renal carcinoma. And in this article by O'Connor, they talk about mean attenuation as a reliable uh, measurement for what a renal mass specifically is. And in his article, what he said more specifically, if something contains fat or is less than 20 Hounsfield units or greater than 70, it's considered benign as long as it didn't have thick walls or septations or mural nodules or thick calcifications. So, so that means 20 to 70 in the non-contrast, you have to worry. That's the indeterminate zone, but under 20, over 70, you can let go by. To follow this up, Pooler wrote an article where he found that when he looked at his cases, renal masses, all the renal cells, were in that 20 to 70 Hounsfield unit range when they went back in the non-contrast. So this 20 to 70 is the danger zone. And Pooler does make that point about that danger zone. And so when you look at our graphs, you look at these two graphs, the average renal cell was 37 Hounsfield units non-contrast. But there's a range between 20 and 70. So anything in that range you can't evaluate. Anything outside the range you can evaluate. So that's a very, very important point. And so if something's 40 non-contrast, you better do a CT with contrast if you did a stone protocol, but the odds are you're dealing with a renal cell carcinoma. Every once in a while you can be fooled with a high-density cyst, but this rule here is very, very critical. Now, in looking at the kidney, what else? If you have a case like this, the left renal lesion is fat density, that's an angiomyolipoma. Nothing very tricky, there it is there. Here it is in a couple more views. Now this was a renal angiomyolipoma that was 100% fat. There's a range of fat in these lesions. So here's one with a lesion projected off the kidney, non-contrast and arterial. It's very vascular. Here's the inner portion of that kidney. Uh, you can see uh, a little tiny bit of fat in the lesion in this mass. When you see fat in a tumor, I know you can think about a renal cell, but when you have a lesion that's fairly homogeneous like this and a tiny bit of fat, and you look harder and there are other additional areas of fat, you better be thinking about a renal angiomyolipoma. And renal angiomyolipomas are incidental findings. Because they're vascular, they're very easy to confuse with renal cell carcinoma. Because in our mind, we think of renal AMLs as very much a lot of fat in them. We tend to undercall them. It could only be a minimal amount of fat, so it's very easy to not make that diagnosis. Now, a couple articles, Jazaki, angiomyolipoma is the most common benign solid neoplasm in, the, in our clinical practice. Uh, the importance of understanding this group of neoplasms is emphasized by the fact that many types of angiomyolipoma contain little or no fat. Now, we talk about hyperattenuating angiomyolipoma as opposed to an angiomyolipoma with minimal fat. They make up a small percent of angiomyolipomas, like the case I showed a few moments ago. They're usually small in the three centimeter range, contain a small amount of fat, and tend to measure uh, not negative numbers. Now, those are rare, fortunately, because it can be a real challenge for us, but we will indeed see them in practice. Another example of renal angiomyolipoma, a real pitfall. Here it's coming up the lower aspect of the kidney, but if you look at it quickly, 
you would wonder if this is a retroperitoneal sarcoma. Maybe it's a liposarcoma. It's a fatty tumor. It can be tricky. Um, you know, liposarcomas can invade the kidney, but they also distort them. Um, you want to be thinking about um, this type of lesion. I think it's very critical to recognize. Here's the fat, well-defined. This is an exophytic angiomyolipoma. Very classic. You often see the vessels going from inside the kidney to inside the mass. That makes it very obvious. And here's very nicely the coronal and axial imaging. Now, if you ask me what else contains fat, renal cell carcinoma, Wilms tumor, and teratoma come to mind. And there's some facts. A fatty mass that contains, uh, that originates in the kidney, is likely an angiomyolipoma rather than liposarcoma. There's always a question of something exophytic could be a liposarcoma, but in those scenarios, the vessels tend to tell you the right answer. And I'll show you that. And that's a good way of looking at things. Now, the other thing we need to look at is stone protocols. Now, the reason I mention stone protocols, they're wonderful if you're looking for stones. But I think it's important to remember what a stone protocol does and doesn't tell you. You have to remember why we're doing stone protocols. It's not just hematuria. It's hematuria and flank pain in the patient's young. If you're worrying about a tumor, you have to do a contrast-enhanced scans. And so I always remind people about this because when I report to the ER, I'm always concerned that someone's going to see negative report for negative stone disease and say, is normal kidneys, negative kidneys. No, it means no stone. It doesn't mean anything else. Now, I mentioned before about the importance of non-contrast. Here's some more of the reasons. Small renal tumors can be missed on non-contrast study. That's very obvious. Acute pilo can be missed and vascular lesions can be missed. That's a lot of potential misses, which is why um, you really have certain limitations in the non-contrast. It gives you a good baseline of a lesion. It also detects calcification, but it misses so much. And here's an example, mass right kidney, which you don't see, but there it is, arterial phase, and there it is, venous phase. So you can see that if you only had non-contrast, or you relied a lot on non-contrast, it's very easy to miss small renal tumors. In my mind, the ones that are missed are the smaller ones that don't distort the contour. And so if you look at this case, you line them up, you can see that it does not distort the contour. That indeed becomes very important. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago that there's no one perfect phase and that excretory phase is good but not perfect, but it has certain advantages. So if you look at this case, if you look at six o'clock in the right kidney, it looks like there's too much cortex there. And if you look really, really hard, I think you can see this lower density zone. Now you look at that and you say, boy, is that anything or it's just a cortical medullary interface? Is it anything important? I don't know, looking at it this way, I kind of don't think so. And there it is, the coronal view what's going on? Well, in this case, if we go to the excretory view, now a very obvious lesion is seen compared to the arterial phase. And we've seen a number of cases where on the excretory phase, you see a small tumor that was isodense on the arterial and venous phase. Not that it's so vascular, but it's measuring the density of everything else. And so it kind of merges in there. And here it is again. Just look at that. Look how easy it was to miss almost a two-centimeter renal cell carcinoma. And that's not the only case. Look at the left kidney. Do you see anything? Well, I don't know. Look at the circle. Maybe. Well, you say, give me coronal. I'm giving you a coronal. 
I don't see anything on the coronal and I don't see anything on the MIP. And on excretory phase, I see the lesion. It's very obvious, but the other phases, you didn't see it. That indeed is very critical. Now, another set of findings relates to the uh, image display format. We always comment that you need to look at coronals and sagittals. You need to look at the NPRs. When you look at the kidney, here you quickly look and say, well, the left kidney and right kidney look the same. But if you follow the left kidney around, you'll notice that about 3 o'clock there's a defect in the cortex. This mass um, is shown right there. was so hard to see in the axial, but so easy to see in the coronal display. So you got to look at coronals on everything. Another example, this was read as normal. And you look at the right kidney, it looks like a mass there of right kidney tissue. But here's what happened. There was really a renal mass coming off the upper pole. Unless you looked at the coronals, you totally blew that diagnosis. Now that was um, stage, you know, early stage disease, and you could do a partial nephrectomy. But the point is, if you didn't detect it, a few years later the patient comes back with metastatic disease. So we've gone through some of the pitfalls. Now other pitfalls revolve around transitional cell carcinoma, but maybe we'll take a break and come back and start the discussion of TCC at that time. Thanks a lot.